Hello, and welcome to Banking Transformed. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. Now more than ever, organizations have an opportunity to use digital transformation to amplify their product and service innovation strategy. Leveraging modern technology, data, analytics, and digital distribution, market leaders can use innovation to support new business models and create improved experiences. Despite these opportunities, new research by the Digital Bank Report has found that most organizations consider themselves to be behind the curve with both digital transformation and innovation. Part of the challenge is the lack of an innovation culture or leadership that fails to embrace change. We are very fortunate to have Mohit Joshi, President of Infosys, as well as Michael Rutledge, Chief Information Officer and Head of Technology Services at Citizens Bank. They will discuss the opportunities and challenges of implementing an innovation-focused digital transformation process during these times of rapid change. So welcome to the show, Mohit and Michael. I am really excited about being able to have both of you on today's show. Not only has Cynical Emphasis been the sponsor of our very popular Innovation in Retail Banking Report for more than a decade, but Citizens Bank has also become a leader in both innovation and digital transformation in what could be said is a very highly competitive marketplace. As I mentioned in my introduction, brand new research we have just completed on behalf of Emphasis has found that less than 10% of financial institutions globally consider themselves to be innovation or digital transformation leaders. Mohit, why do you think this is the case? Well, look, I think the thing is that uh, the world is changing very fast. And in the financial services industry, players are being buffeted by change. So I think this reflects a reality in most of the Western world that people feel that they're behind the curve. Uh, hopefully they're catching up soon. And, you know, some of the leaders, banks like citizens are really uh, ahead of the eight ball in terms of driving the transformation. Well, you know, it's interesting because when you look at that, you know, we've seen that actually the numbers of people that said they were leaders actually went down since the pandemic. And financial institutions have done a lot since the pandemic. But I think to your point, I think the challenge is that the tide rose and that the expectations of consumers, small businesses, competitive environment has gotten so aggressive, changing so quickly that I think organizations are reassessing where they may be in the overall marketplace. So, Michael, do you believe the pandemic was more of an opportunity or a threat in terms of embracing innovation and implementing digital transformation? Well, listen, I think it's definitely accelerated digital transformation. If you think uh, if you think what we do, right, we're, we're a bank. So, you know, our commercial sales force couldn't get out and meet with their customers. Our customers we didn't, not as many customers came into branches, although we kept all of our branch, most of our branches open throughout the pandemic. So to service our customers, we had to make sure that we were operating where they needed us to be. So whether that's using, you know, video technology to do customer sales uh, and deals, whether it's enabling customers to come into a branch, but at the same time, if they wanted, you know, apply for an account, apply for a card, open a bank account on a mobile device, you know, or maybe a combination of the two. You know, it really forced us, I think, to look at the customer journey 
and really try and remove those friction points from our customers. And to your first question, Jim, you know, when we looked at that, I think it surfaced some, some challenges that we had because we were still, our, our processes were still very much dependent on paper. So that requires a physical presence. So how do you move that digitally? We really had to think very fast and really make sure that our systems, you know, could operate in a paperless environment. Well, it's interesting, Michael. Our research also found that while financial services executives understand the importance of innovation and digital transformation, very few know where to start or how to embrace the change needed in their organizations. And in fact, we see this to be a biggest problem in mid-market or mid-asset range organizations, such as citizens. So, Michael, how has citizens moved forward and supported the change that's been needed to succeed? Uh, I, you know, I, I would say early on, prior to the pandemic, uh, our CEO, uh, Bruce Van Son, really recognized the need to really digitally transform. And frankly, I was part of that journey. I was hired to the bank two and a half years ago. And it was really to bring a really technology modernization program to the bank. And we set about building a three-year strategy at the bank to transform technologies and that really consisted of five key pillars you know moving to an agile operating model leveraging DevSecOps tools to automate releases to automate testing um, building up our engineering talent here at the bank both retraining our existing employees and frankly going on a, a huge hiring campaign for top class engineers um, we rolled out microservices, APIs, really to enable faster development times and move to the cloud, you know, to promote speed. And at the same time, we had to make sure that the system was protected from a cyber and from a stability perspective. So having that sort of long-term vision and putting that in place, you know, we were a year into that by the time the pandemic came around, which was which was good. We'd really just started, but at least we'd got off the ground and we had that vision that we're still going ahead with. Excellent, yeah. And Mohit, um, as Infosys meets with financial institutions globally, what have you seen to be the biggest challenge to moving quickly in both the trans digital transformation and innovation journeys? Is it investment level? Is it leadership? Is it prioritization or is it something else? I think, uh, Jim, it's uh, the same thing that you mentioned when you asked the question, which is people don't know where to start. And I think I'll uh, relate this to what Michael mentioned when Michael uh, took on the role of, uh, you know, of uh, group technology and citizens working with the CEO to establish the first principles, right? What is the next gen uh, tech transformation that we're going to drive? What's it going to look like? You know, it has to be agile. It has to involve the team, so there's an element of talent transformation. There has to be an element of cost, right? At the end of the day, uh, you know, banks have to become cost-focused given how margins are being compressed. Uh, it has to be about the move to the cloud. It has to be about risk and controls and cybersecurity. So you essentially have to have all the elements in the next-gen transformation. And for that, you need a roadmap. And most critically, as both of you mentioned, you need leadership. 
So that is where we find the challenge. Budgets, quite honestly, over the next couple of years are not going to be a challenge. Uh, it is uh, my sense, it is our sense that over the next three to five years, uh, tech budgets for banks and for insurers are probably going to rise between six and nine percent, which is the most they've ever risen for the past uh, 12 to 15 years, right? So I don't think money is going to be the challenge. Well, you know, we, if money's not going to be a challenge, and we mentioned that leadership is, is has been a challenge in the past, um, what's the key to success as far as leadership is concerned in supporting the process and a culture when many of these leaders really have never seen innovation and certainly digital transformation as part of their job? How do you how do you work with organizations to help them actually embrace the change that's necessary? The first piece is that you obviously need consensus within the organization, right? And I think what has happened in most banks is for a while, uh, business has lost trust that technology will be able to deliver, uh, you know, to cost to certain outcomes. Uh, so it takes time to build that cost, uh, sorry, that uh, uh, confidence around the executive uh, table. I think the second thing is you need a platform mindset, right? Uh, because you obviously cannot have various components that you look to optimize in pieces. Uh, you need to look at the overall set of platforms that you have in the bank and how you can transform them. Uh, obviously, there needs to be an obsession with uh, customers. Uh, there are so many pieces, right, uh, Jim? And I think those pieces have to come together in a comprehensive plan. The comprehensive plan then needs to have uh, the buy-in from the CEO and from the rest of the executive suite. And then you need to deliver to the plan, right? Uh, that I think is the essence of uh, what needs to be done. And uh, it is not easy, right? It is not easy because the external environment is not standing still. Regulators are constantly pushing for new things that they want, uh, the latest being operational resilience. Comparators are not uh, standing still. And we've seen this huge wave of M&A happening within the uh, banking sector, which obviously disrupts plan, but like everything else, it starts with a plan. It starts with a comprehensive plan that has an internal buy-in and which you then start executing on and you make changes as the external environment changes. So, so Michael, from your perspective, how has citizens supported the breaking of old paradigms and making employees comfortable with taking risks in areas that even 12 months ago, they didn't see themselves being in? Yeah, that's a great question, Jim. I think as we touched on earlier, I think, you know, one, it's setting out that vision and having the confidence that, you know, you can show that it's been done before uh, and and having the, the senior level uh, people in the bank support that, as Moa, as Moa had said, which, which I had, which is very, very important. It's getting those early wins with the business so you can get that confidence from the business, uh, it's it's building the right leadership team. So both grooming some of the leaders that you had in existence, and then bringing in new leaders who have been through this digital experience, and then everybody can see what what really good looks like. And I think you need to do that all the way through the organisation. But what we did with our uh, with our colleagues, we really set out to do was really put some really clear development programs in place. So we actually created academies, engineering academies. And we've taken about 150 of our employees. This is out of a base of about 800. Uh, and we've put them through these 10-day boot camps, essentially. And you know they've learned new skills. They're, they're, most of them were computer science literate 
had degrees but hadn't really practiced that for many, many years. They'd been more in project management, oversight functions. They hadn't been hands-on anymore. And actually, you know, Jim, they love getting back to that coding, right? They love it. They they love learning. They, they, everyone I've, I've talked to once they've been through these classes has really enjoyed it. And we didn't just do that classes. We've done badging programs, certification programs. We've launched over 30 different badges in you know, diverse topics like cryptocurrencies and AI, machine learning, uh, wow. you know, the cloud, etc., etc. So really great adoption. We've had over 200 colleagues take those badging programs uh, and, and they want to do it. You know, they want to learn. So that's one thing. And then, you know, we did do a lot of hiring. We brought in a lot of external talent at the same time that, you know, had operated in an agile environment, who'd built digital mobile solutions, who knew what, you know, how to build a DevSecOps environment and how to automate testing. So having that influx of engineers, reskilling our current employee base, I think, you know, so I would say top down and bottoms up. Really, we, we try to get that buy-in into the overall strategy and, and vision. Well, it's interesting because it also gives the employees a sense of not only buy-in, but security. Because in their old roles, they don't they can see the handwriting on the blackboard that says, you know, I may be out of a job here if I don't transform myself and adjust to the way the marketplace and my organization is going. So, you know, we've talked about retraining. We've talked about hiring. Michael, how important is partnering with solution providers or even fintech organizations to create innovative solutions to help in the digital transformation process, maybe even to increase the speed and simplicity of your solutions? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's critical. So, uh, you know, it's, I think we've partnered with a number of fintech providers. So where we see best in class, you know, we've gone out and partnered with them. I mean, it could be a a mobile front-end solution. It could be a, a company that bring in credit bureau data that allows us to source data from multiple, you know, different parts of, of uh, you know, different data sources very rapidly. So much quicker than we could do it, you know, ourselves. Uh, it could be companies specializing in AI and marketing that we've we've partnered with. So we definitely partner with a number of, uh, of fintechs. That's very important. And at the same time, partners like Invasys have been very critical in this transformation journey. And I would say they've come along this journey with us. You know, so, you know, one thing, we had a very heavy testing workforce, you know, that we're doing a lot of manual testing. Well, you don't need, you know, if you can replace that with automated testing, Invisys have brought in the engineers who've automated that testing, right? Now we don't necessarily need so many manual testers. We've improved that process. You know, now we're able to do releases in 15 minutes that would have taken us two hours. We're able to run full regression testing overnight because we're able to automate that as opposed to days, weeks it would have taken to do this manually. So... You know, I think that's one critical component that, that certainly some of our providers have, uh, have, have, uh, have changed as well. And then also from a strategic perspective, I think they've also had to change because we've had to think how to do things differently. So we've had to look at really leveraging the, the sort of architecture talent in some of our providers so that they 
can work with us on blueprinting. You know, how are we, how are we going to modernize our current systems? It's not an easy to do, right? Some of these systems that we're relying on were developed 35, 40 years ago, right? So how do you, how do you, you know, while you're adding all these new capabilities, how do you transform that? and still keep the speed to market and bring in the right talents that can connect to that. And that's, that takes sort of a different sort of mindset to really think through what's the vision for those applications? How can we exit applications, decommission applications? As Moet said, how can we take out costs? Because you can't just keep on adding costs all the time. Right. So you, you've got to take costs out of the system and that requires careful planning you know, are you, are you retiring systems as you're building in the new? And do you have a longer term roadmap? And, uh, you know, they've been terrific partners uh, with us on that. So, Mohit, from your perspective, you know, you're being brought into a lot of different organizations and sometimes have to work with partners that, you know, maybe some of them have the same solutions you do, but you have to put these things together in a way that's cohesive. When organizations bring you in as part of the digital transformation or innovation process, what is the major thing they're trying to achieve when they partner with a company like Infosys? And how quickly can you get up to speed and bring solutions to the table? And I know that differs from the perspective of what you have to do, but in, in general, what does that look like? Sure, Jim. So look, I think, uh, you know, for us, and again, just to give you a sense of the scale, right? Our financial services practice now is over $5 billion in annual revenues. Uh, if I look at some of the platforms that we have, our mortgage platform services, you know, close to half a, half a trillion dollars of mortgages. Uh, our banking platform has 1.3 billion end users. And obviously on the services side, we cover most of the large financial institutions in the world. So when we come in through the door, clearly that capability in terms of the services capability, the platform, the software, the ecosystem and partnership, that is already available. Uh, I'll mention a couple of things. One is most of the relationships we have with our clients, including with citizens, right? These are really long-standing relationships, you know, typically over a decade or two decades old. So we come in with a, you know, with a huge amount of trust because of us having delivered, right? So that's the second thing I'll mention. The scale is the first thing. The second thing is execution capability. Uh, we've been in this business for nearly 40 years, and I think we have a nearly uh, flawless track record in terms of what we've been able to deliver. Clients really count on us uh, on our execution capabilities. And finally, the global spread, right? Uh, what a global spread really means is that we can be talking to citizens about things that we've seen working you know, with the big four banks in Australia, things that we've seen working with DBS in Singapore, and things that we've seen working with Santander in, uh, you know, in uh, Latin America, for instance. So the global uh, flavor we can bring in, because banks across the world are looking to, uh, you know, to ride on the experiences that they've seen working in Asia, uh, the digital experiences and the automation they've seen working in the Nordics. So, uh, you know, uh, the relationships, uh, the scale, the execution capability and the global uh, sort of uh, credentialing that we bring in. I think that's what uh, uh, clients are uh, looking for. Uh, we, we see ourselves as long-term players with the large banks. So we're not looking to execute a program and then disappear. Uh, we're typically there for the long haul for the entire journey. And I think that gives our clients a lot of comfort because they know that uh, we're going to be around, you know, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. 
Well, that's interesting because I've been meeting with some bankers uh, face-to-face in the last few weeks. And one thing they keep on telling me when I bring up the partnership issue is exactly what you said. They say it's important to make sure you have a partner that's going to be there when you need them. They also say that the reason why they engage with partners is more often than not the ability to avoid challenges that they would have hit if they did it themselves. In other words, you you help to avoid those detours or those rough roads. But you also can get them to, as you mentioned, the 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 ability to leverage other institutions' experiences to get the best of what's out there. And, and this is true with any third party or even a fintech firm where if you build the right partnership, then you're getting the, what I'll call the GPS of engagement, which really makes it so you get to your destination the fastest and easiest if you build that right. So, so let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsor of this podcast. This episode of Banking Transformed is sponsored by FIS. The way we move money is changing. We want to send money in real time to the other side of the world. We want everything in one place, integrated, seamless, and on our devices. Embedded, fast, standardized, and frictionless, as well as secure. These are our financial futures. The Financial Futures Podcast by FIS explores fintech innovation and the trends that are already transforming the way the world pays, banks, and invests across the globe. And the mechanisms we'll need to prosper in this new brave landscape. Is the world's technology up to the challenge? Are we? Are those around us? FIS, advancing the way the world pays, banks, and invests. Welcome back. I'm joined today by Mohit Joshi, President of Infosys, as well as Michael Rutledge, Chief Information Officer and Head of Technology Services at Citizens Bank. We have been discussing the importance of innovation and digital transformation in a post-crisis world. So, Michael, I've asked a couple times around, you know, what's the importance of data analytics and modern technology as part of the overall innovation and transformation process? What, what do you think those, those keys are? What, how important is the data analytics and, and even modern technology as far as the overall mix? Look, I think, Jim, I think the data and digital transformation go hand in glove. It, it, really, is, it really is critical. And if you're really trying to, which we are, trying to produce that really uh, frictionless customer experience and really want to know your customers, the only way you're going to do that is by leveraging data. And, you know, we've all, everyone's chasing the holy grail of this customer 360 where you have as much information you have about your customer, both internal data and external data. So, frankly, you can help them make the right decisions. You, know, you think about the diversity of products that a bank like Citizens has. You know, it has the traditional check-in, deposit, accounts, but it also does car loans. It also does mortgages. You know, it also has a wealth management arm. So, you know, it's really important understanding what your customers want and then leveraging the data you have at the bank to service, service their needs. And often we use multiple data providers to help us do that. It can be as simple as pre-filling information as they're applying for a loan. Right, if you can pre-fill it, saves them time. Right, you want ideally you want people to the whole experience to be done in minutes. 
So the more you can leverage external data sources, I don't want to have to ask someone to send me a W-2 with income data, right? Why? If they give me the appropriate permissions, I can go grab that from a database and get that information. So the more we can automate those type of data sources, it really helps us. You know, we've, you know, one of the systems we've just implemented, we eliminated 27 different documents. This is where normally they would have had to, you know, print a document, sign it, and submit yeah. it, right? So we were able to do that by leveraging. But it was, but it was a digital document. So yeah. it was a PDF. So right. it was okay, right? Part of the digital transformation. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, another yeah. key thing is in decision science, right? Where we use data. So if you think about, you know, what we're doing in our marketing, it's really important that are you sending the, the right customers, the right offers at the right time? And how are you leveraging different machine learning techniques to enable that? And it's in the power of the power of the data. How can you do that real time by using you know, data streaming tools and new technology to, to enable that? So a lot of focus on that. Same with fraud, same with credit. A lot of the risk decisions that we make, you know, the power is in the data. If you leverage that data, you can really make more informed decisions that allow us to prevent fraud to our customers, that allow us to extend the right amount of credit to our customers. So just a, just a tremendous amount of focus on that at, uh, at the bank. So Michael, sticking with you, what do you believe right now is the biggest opportunity that you see in financial services and what's the biggest challenge? Uh, you know, I think the, the biggest opportunity is really to uh, just, you know, is mobile, I think. So I think, can we really deliver everything that our customer needs on a mobile device? You know, can you truly make that a frictionless experience for them? And can you give them what they want, you know, digitally? So I think that's the greatest opportunity for us. If you look at, you know, you talked about, uh, and Moet mentioned earlier, one of the things they're able to do is put us in touch with other companies. One of them was Ping which is a Chinese company, insurance company, not in our, in, in you know, the direct, not competitors at all to us. But what they've been able to do in their acquisition strategy, how they've been able to acquire people digitally is really, is, is unbelievable. And it's, it's examples like that that we can replicate and we can think about how, you know, in this terms of digital transformation, you know, you don't need someone to fill out a paper application anymore, right? How can you do that digitally? Hopefully, how can you do that from a mobile first perspective? So um, challenges continues to be, I think, the, the regulatory environment, you know, where we're very highly sensitive to customer data as we, as we move into the cloud. You know, cloud is enabling speed. It's enabling cost transformation. We can operate in the cloud at much lower unit costs than we can in our own data centers. But how do we do that? How do you do that at speed and still have the confidence from our regulators, from our customers, that the data is safe, that it's protected, that you know there's multiple layers of protection. So you know it's it's that education that we have to do uh, and uh, you know across the board with our risk teams and our regulators, I think is one of the biggest the biggest challenges is everybody's going through this this learning curve at the same time and rapidly. 
You know, it's interesting, uh, Michael, you mentioned Ping An in, in China, and I was lucky enough, right, January of last year, so it was uh, at the very beginning of the pandemic period, visiting their headquarters in, in Shenzhen. And to the, as you mentioned, the way they use data, the way they combine not only the customer experience, but other experiences for corporations. So they, they take insurance information, they transfer it to the automobile industry. They, they got to the point where they can almost determine what car a customer is going to buy next based on the data they have, which is insane, but it's very obviously very valuable to, to the car companies, but it also is a good value proposition to the consumer. So for, Mohit, from your perspective, what is your thoughts around the platformification of banking? Is this where we're going to be going? Are we going to be building big open banking platforms that really, I'm not going to say super apps because not everybody, not every organization is going to have the ability to be a super app, but do you see platforms as being really the key to future transformation? Yeah, look, I think I'm just going to first uh, come back to something that uh, that Michael had mentioned because it's important and the super app concept is really linked to the mobile, right? I think you know, what we still haven't fully recognized is that mobile is now the default method of uh, interaction. And after COVID-19, right, the percentage of online transactions that are done on mobile has actually increased very significantly. You've got new stuff coming in from a voice, from a gesture, and from a proximity technology perspective that is going to supercharge uh, what the mobile can do. And then you've got 5G, right? You've got the promise of 5G yeah. and, you know, what edge computing and everything else will do to the mobile. So, uh, you know, I, I agree with Michael 100% that the future of, uh, you know, of customer experience is still very much uh, mobile first, especially for banking. And if you think it's going to be mobile first, then the obvious extension of that is that the, you know, the integrated, uh, you know, sort of app ecosystem like we've seen with, uh, you know, with WeChat and Ali and, you know, and Gojek and, you know, even to a degree, Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp, that will probably be the uh, sort of what the future of banking will look like. Uh, if we look at what some of the mobile first banks have done, you know, like a Starling or a Revolut, they're trying to go down the, uh, you know, the same sort of uh, route. Uh, and open banking will, uh, you know, will potentially supercharge this, right? Because then I, I feel that, uh, you know, the platformification will, uh, you know, take uh, this shape of, uh, you know, being built around the mobile and being built around uh, the customer's uh, anticipated needs. So, you know, that that's really interesting because I think you're right. I th we're now seeing that loyalty is somewhat at risk because bank loyalty used to be based on balances or the number of times a customer came in the office or number of transactions. But now, when you look at the ability to open an account almost instantly on a mobile app and the ability to fragment your relationship, it really is going to get down to how engaged am I on the digital platform? How many times do I want to go to Citizens Bank, for instance, and actually do something engaging to bring the value of my relationship up. So we can look at uh, possibly buying things, maybe some financial wellness tools, budgeting tools. It could be engagement from a content standpoint. I mean, what we're really building now is an ecosystem that says, I want to make it so you want to come to my to my platform. Very much like PayPal said, you know, the reason they got into crypto was basically so people would come to their app more frequently, even if it's just look for price. 
but habits are hard to break. And once you get used to using a specific app, which is usually based on speed and simplicity and empathy, you're going to use it more frequently. So, you know, Michael, from your perspective, and, and you know, as I mentioned, Citizens Bank is what I'll call a mid-asset range organization. Is there any limitation based on the size of an organization, be it small or large, as to what can happen given all the tools we have now? Or is there a situation that small organizations may be fighting an uphill battle with regard to the competition with regards to what consumers want? No, I think we can compete and we can compete very well. We have great relationships with our customers. Uh, but, you know, we're in... We're trying to expand nationally, and today we're in, you know, in our consumer business is in 13 states. Our commercial right. business is, is national. It's in 50 out of 52 states. What becomes critical there, Jim, is brand, right? So because even though you're very well known in the North 13, you know, Northeast states and Ohio and Philadelphia, yep. and, you know, we've got that, you know, people don't know as maybe in the West or in uh, Florida or in, so how do you really get that presence? So you've really got to think about, you know, the brand. And, you know, with our recent acquisitions of HSBC and investors, you know, we're acquiring a lot of branches in, in New York, right? So how will we go about making sure that our brand presence is known and we establish that relationship with the customers, it's going to be it's going to be very important, and we're going to do that both digitally and by you know different campaigns, with different local campaigns. But you know the way we've done it digitally is, and we we pivoted during the pandemic, but we had a process called checkup where people would come into the branches, would make an appointment, and they would speak with an advisor, and they would get advice on one topic and potentially different topics. And people really value that relationship with their banker. Obviously, that couldn't happen in the in in uh, in COVID. So people did it virtually, and it works. It works well. So you know the things that we can pivot and we can do to really get that relationship with our customers. I think you know I think we can, and with the right size that we can do that with the number of customers um, that we um, that we have. But it's this combination of you know, we're going to continue to have our brick and mortar banks, but we're also going to turbocharge that digitally. And then also the other important thing is getting those systems to talk to each other, going back to my earlier comments about a seamless customer journey. Ideally, if someone comes into a branch, can they, you know, they may have started the account at home. Can they continue it in a branch if they have contacts or vice versa? So making that easy for our customers to do that type of thing, provide the services that they want is really critical to us. So final question for you, Mohit, and I, I didn't want to ask this of Michael because um, he'd be biased, but he mentioned that he they're going through an M&A process right now. And my thought is that um, unless you already have the culture in place with the lead organization doing the acquisition, the combination of multiple financial institutions doesn't fix the problem if your legacy leadership still is thinking in the, what I'll say, the traditional banking way. Do you see this as a possible challenge in the marketplace where organizations are trying to scale up and their, their logic is, well, we can save on cost, but we also can save some money and put that towards R&D and digital transformation? 
do we are we fixing the wrong things? Are we trying to scale up and and maybe not really changing the organization? Look, I think uh, Jim, it's an excellent question, but I do feel that banks have become a lot more strategic about M and A than they used to be in the past. Uh, I feel that a lot of the M and A now is driven by technology and about access to technology. So clearly, from a banking perspective, you know there are gaps in your portfolio that you want to fill. There are maybe geographic gaps that you want to fill. Maybe it's a national footprint that you're after. But a lot of these acquisitions, you know, even seven to ten years ago, used to stumble because it would take banks many, many in case, you know. I would say almost uh, decades to integrate the underlying technology, and so you could never realize the promise of uh, the customer experience. You could never really realize the cost promise because you were carrying a really fragmented and a bloated cost base over a period of time. I think banks have now become uh, a lot smarter about this. So the integration plans, the migration plans, the choice of the target platforms. Uh, you know that. Uh, uh, getting that uh, unique and uh, uh, I'd say integrated customer experience, uh, these are much more thought through. And so I do feel that because banks have become more strategic about it, uh, and because they become a lot more, uh, I think a lot of M&A choices and decisions are driven by the underlying technology platforms. Uh, and so I feel that it, it is more accretive, it is more beneficial than it was, you know, a decade ago. I, I recollect almost like. Uh, Maybe over 20 years ago, when you had uh, Shawmart uh, being acquired by uh, Bank Boston at that time, I think it was at least for a couple of years after that, you had separate queues in the branches saying Shawmart customers queue here and Bank Boston customers queue over here. It's almost impossible to think something like that could happen today, which shows you how far we've come just in the past two decades. Great answer and a great way to end the podcast. Thank you both for being on the show today. I really appreciate your time. It gave me a new perspective on you know, how this can be done, but also really how integrated data, technology, innovation, and digital transformation is, and how important, and not that I was surprised by this, but how important actually training all your employees to move forward as digital ambassadors is to the process. Thank you again, Mohit and, and Michael. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, rated as a top five banking podcast. I genuinely appreciate the support you have provided since we started this endeavor. If you enjoy what we're doing, please be sure to follow Banking Transform on your favorite podcast app. In addition, take some time to show some love in the form of a review. It means the world to me and to the entire organization. Finally, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out the research we're doing on digital transformation, the future of work in banking, retail banking innovation, and the changing dynamics of financial marketing for the Digital Bank Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, audio engineer, Sean Roe Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, Remember that nothing changes if nothing changes. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. 
You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.